0: Let's open our Bible this morning to 2 Samuel chapter 18. It's mainly to try to get down through verse 18. I don't know how far we'll get and we may get beyond that. But 2 Samuel 18, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 18. To me, this is one of the saddest stories in all the scriptures. We come here to the words recorded about Absalom's death. David's son, that was raised in David's house, that was taught the gospel. I picture Absalom being in the house that day. He may not have been, but this is how I picture it. When, remember when David came back and he brought the ark back, and man, he was rejoicing in his great God and his Redeemer. All the things that this boy saw. And still died a rebel. We should teach our children. We should instruct them in the things of God. But only God can show up a person mercy. Only God can open a person's eyes. And There's so many lessons in these verses. But it's such a sad story. I guess mainly because we all probably have people that we love very dearly. Who are living in rebellion. And have no clue what they're doing. Like Absalom, he's heading, we're going to see today, he's heading headlong into eternity. And he thinks everything's going his way. And it seems to be. He marched into Jerusalem. He ran his father out. He set up his reign. and he, But he's not content with just running David off. He wants to kill him. You imagine your children, your own children wanting to kill you. What does our Lord say? A man's foes, a man's enemies will be they of his own household. There's so many pictures here. You can picture the old man and the new man. he never bow. He, he's always a rebel. And we see Absalom here. Hushai gave him the advice and said his counsel was, you go yourself. And he, we don't know how many... 1,000 that that Absalom had coming after David. I, I picture it a great number because he won the hearts of the children of Israel. Also picture this. This is not the Philistines fighting against David. This is a civil war. This is Israel. All the tribes except for probably Judah coming against David. That's what we have here. That's the picture here. In verse 1 of chapter 18, and David numbered the people that were with him. Another time David numbered the people and he was punished for doing it. God killed 70,000 men, but not here. He numbered them. I picture that. God knows all his elect. They're all numbered. A number which no man can number. And he set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. Pink said that David's strong faith did not produce laziness nor carelessness. When I see, Absalom's not the one that comes. Absalom's came out, Absalom's hunting David, but we're going to see who puts the, the, takes the battle to who. David sends his men. It's like when our Lord came to the Garden of Gethsemane, he, it says, he went forth. He basically took the battle to them. I heard Fortner make a comment on a verse, you know, it says, for the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. We're always thinking about the gates of hell coming against us. That's not what that means. That means us going against the very gates of hell. And they won't prevail against us. That's the picture here. There's an underlying truth here. There is an enmity that hates God. It hates God. Your mind, your carnal mind that you are born with is enmity, is enmity against God. And it's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. It's never going to bow. That's what we see here. You say, why would Absalom do that to his father? That's the reason. Hates him. many mean he hates him that much? He hates him. You see that's a strong word. He hates him. David gathered his men. In Job chapter twenty, verse four, let me read you these verses. Knowest thou not this of old, since man was placed upon the earth, that the triumph the triumphing of the wicked is short. And the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. Though his excellency mount up to the heavens and his head reach into the clouds, yet shall yet he shall perish forever like his own dung. They which have seen him shall say, well, where is he? He shall fly away as a dream and shall not be found. Yea, he shall be chased away as a vision of the night. The eye also which saw him shall see him no more. Neither shall his place any more behold him. That's what we see here in Absalom. And in verse 2, And David sent forth. He gathers together his men, and he sends them forth. What did our Lord do to his disciples? He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What is that? That's him sending forth, isn't it? We go forth conquering and to conquer. The world looks at it, and from the world's eyes, you say, well, God's church seems so insignificant to everybody else. David's small little band of men compared to Absalom seemed very small. But who's king here? who's chosen king. David sent forth a third part of the people under the hand of Joab, and a third part under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zarai, Joab's brother. These two men were brothers. And you remember their other brother was killed by Abner. And a third part under the hand of Ittai the Gittite. And the king said unto the people, I will surely go forth with you myself also. You notice that where it mentioned that third man? And basically David's putting these men over, he's dividing them up into three parts. Joab's over one, Abishai's over one, and another guy's over one. Who's this other guy? We meet him back in chapter 15. I thought this was ironic when David's getting ready to cross the brook Kidron. And these people are following David. And this man comes up. And it says, if you turn back to 2 Samuel 15, verse 18, and it says, all of his servants passed on beside him, and the Jerushites, and the Pelethites, and the Gittites, 600 men, which came after David from Gath, passed on before the king. Then said the king to Ittai, that's this man, the Gittite, wherefore goest thou also with us? Return to thy place, abide with the king, for thou art a stranger and also an exile. Whereas thou just came yesterday, you've not been with us long. Should I this day make thee go up and down with us, seeing I go whither I may? Return thou and take back thy brethren. Mercy and truth be with thee. And yet I answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth, and as my Lord the king liveth, surely in what place? My Lord, the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also will thy servant be. That's this man. What a confession. Wherever you are, that's where we'll be. And you want me to tell you a little secret? That's the confession of every child of God, isn't it? Wherever he is, that's where we're going to be. You said we just come yesterday. Basically, he was just converted yesterday. Why don't don't you just go back to your people? Oh, there's nothing to go back to. And now this man is a leader of one part of David's army. He's a stranger. He's a Gentile. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. And David said to Hittite, Go and pass over, and Hittite, get out, passed over, and all his men. And watch this, and all the little ones that were with him. He brought the little ones with him. And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people passed over. The king also himself passed over the brook Kidron. and all the people passed over toward the wilderness, the way of the wilderness. And David said, I will surely go with you myself we don't know at this point how old David is. I, I picture him as an old man. Solomon, I mean, Absalom's not a young man. And what I can understand with what he was going through in the wilderness and when Absalom, you know, came back and starts the uprising, if you'll read in the Psalms, it talks about him being sick. And he talks about people talking about him. They were whispering and saying, oh, he's just an old man. He, he's he's going to be dead soon. He's nothing. What does the world say? They say God's some grandpa upstairs. And he can't do nothing. His poor little hands are tied. He's just wringing his hands. Let me tell you, he's God. He never ceases to be God. David never ceases to be king. What did he say? I will surely go with you. What did our Lord tell his apostles? The last thing he said, You go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of this earth. You going into battle? I'm going with you. I'm going with you. Can you imagine what that did to their heart? This is the David that killed Goliath all by himself. This is the one that slain ten thousands. God gave him the victory verse 3, but the people answered, Thou shalt not go forth. And the reason they give, this is what got Absalom in trouble. Played on Absalom's pride, you go into battle yourself. When you go into battle, there's one person on both sides everybody wants to kill. That's the king. If you kill the king, the battle's over. Isn't that it? That's, that settles it. And that's what they're saying. Thou shalt not go, for it. if we flee, flee away, they won't care for us. If we run or if they, they, they won't, they won't battle die. It won't make a bit of difference. But neither if half of us die will they care for us. But now, oh, this is good. Thou art worth 10,000 of us. That's the thing. It's not us. This is about you. And they knew it. We don't want you to go down in the battle. You stay here. You stay here. He's worth 10,000. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. They loved the king, and the king loved them. Therefore, now it is better that thou succor us from the city. I thought that was a strange word that they used, or the Spirit of God used, that therefore now it is better that thou succor us from the city. Do you ever remember that word being used anywhere else? That word succour, In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able. To succor them who are tempted. That word succor means to aid or to relieve. David's going to stay back in the city. And if they need help, he'll send aid. Do you ever need aid? Who's able to succor you? Have you ever been tempted? Was he tempted? He was tempted in all points like his are. yet without sin. He's able to succor you. He's able to send you aid. He's able to send you comfort. That's that's his servants that are fighting that battle for his glory and for his honor. And some said, I believe it was Gil or one said, you know what they basically asked? They said, David, would you pray for us? I think I, can't, I cannot think of a greater aid. Can you? To think that our God, our King, prays for us? We don't even know how to pray as we should. But he prays for us with groanings which can't even be uttered. We're not only saved by his death, we're saved by his life. What did he say to Peter? He said, Peter, Satan hath desired you that he may sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. You remember this, our king, our David, prays for us. You know what that says? I'm not alone. You're not alone. You are never alone. You say, we're going to fight this enemy, which is outwardly seems so much bigger than we are. They're not greater than our king. Why is God bringing Absalom to this place? This is no accident. This is providence. God said that he determined to bring evil upon Absalom, and he's going to. Verse 4: The king said unto them, What seemeth thou best, I will do. And the king stood by the gate, and all the people came out by hundreds. And by thousands, I can see David standing there as they run out. What would that do to your heart? That would encourage you. You know what that would do? That would strengthen you. Because every one of us in this building who know our God, there's times you just want to quit. Isn't that right? And see him standing there. And the king commanded. Now watch this. He commanded Joab, Abishai, and Hittai saying, David never questioned the outcome of this battle. He knows where they're going and he knows who the enemy is. The enemy is his own son. You imagine sending your troops out knowing that they're going to kill or could kill your own child. And they said, deal gently for my sake. It ain't that he deserves it. Deal with him gently for my sake. Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave the captain's charge concerning Absalom. Do you not see in that verse the everlasting, eternal love of God for his people? You know what you were? You were a rebel. By nature, you're still a rebel. Isn't it? Deal gently with it. But as I thought about that, and I thought, as I thought about this aspect of this civil war, when God began to establish his church, what was it that tried to work against the church? It was from within. They were called Judaizers, weren't they? They said, well, we keep the law. They said, we believe that Christ saves, but you've got to be circumcised. And you know what Paul said? Paul said, that's another gospel, didn't he? It's another gospel. And they preach another Jesus by another spirit. But you know what Paul said? Paul said, my heart's desire and for Israel is that they may be saved. He said, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They're going about to establish their own righteousness. They've not submitted unto the righteousness of Christ. That's what I see in these verses. Absalom and his men, they won't bow to God in his righteousness. They won't bow to him as king, but they are going about to establish their own righteousness. But you know what Paul said? He said, I'm willing to be accursed for them. Isn't that what he said? What does that mean? He said, I'm willing to go to hell that they might be saved. Deal gently with the young man. I heard Henry, he made a comment on that one time. People, they try to explain away. They say, well, Paul didn't really mean that. He said, just because we don't love that way, don't mean that he didn't. When David said, you deal gently with my son, that he loved that boy. He never quit loving him. We love we love to a certain point. And we say I'm, I'm done with them. Ain't you glad God didn't say I'm done with you Deal gently. Paul loved those Israelites. He never stopped loving them. Never. Never. And as long as there's breath, there's hope. You know who Paul was? He was one of those Israelites who were going about to establish his own righteousness. And God showed him mercy and he said, God made me an example. If God can save me, he can save anybody. As I thought about that, you know, the, what I think would break my heart the most is if I had children and who were wrapped up in an Armenian church, that would just break my heart. Wouldn't it you? I have one daughter out of three who knows Christ. God's been merciful to another two, have, have no interest. But they don't go to church anyway, and that's the way I like it. I'd rather them not go to church anywhere than go to an Armenian church, and I want to make that plain. You see what I'm saying? I had. I just. I'd, I'd rather them not go anywhere. But I pray God would show mercy. But as I thought about that, that would. Oh, that would just. And you, you can imagine, sit down around the Thanksgiving table, and although all they want to do is talk about religion and their Jesus and about their righteousness and everything, you know, that would just tear your heart out, wouldn't it? And it would always be this struggle. That's what I see here. His own family. A man's foes will be they of his own household. And there's going to be this enmity. So I'm not bowing to that Christ. You know why? He so said, I won't bow. The only way you bow, you've got to throw away your righteousness. Your presumed righteousness. Your goodness. There can't be both ways. Either Christ is God or He's not. Either He's sovereign or He's not. Either He saves or He doesn't. Either it's by grace or it's by works. It can't be both. Does that make any sense? That's what I see pictured. Pictured. You know, when you think about it that way, man, it makes it a little more personal. Your own children rising up. Rebelling? You know the worst rebellion? It's unbelief. I will not believe. I won't bow. That's absolutely right bowing. I'm going to overthrow him. I'm going to set my own self up as king. And that's what religion is. Religion, free will, works religion, is nothing more than man setting himself up as God and wants you to worship him. Isn't that it? And he goes out and he steals the hearts of the people. Verse 6. So the people went out into the field against Israel. As we were talking yesterday, it's not peace at any cost I love my family I love them dearly and as much as you can you live peaceably with all men but, but I can tell you a little secret when it comes to the gospel when we reach a certain point hey, it's going to be a fuss ain't they they may back you in a corner and you're going to say hold on now I've stood here and I've been quite long enough I've kept my peace. I'm not going to stand by and, let, and watch you and listen to you lie on my God. I'm not going to do it. You wouldn't for a minute. You love your spouse, how long would you stand there and let somebody lie on her? If you loved her, it wouldn't take long. And when the people of Israel... Were, back to verse 6, so when so the people went out, talking about David's men, into the field against Israel... And the battle was when the wood of Ephraim where the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David. Who was slain? I don't see any mention of David's men. They were slain. They were killed. Why? Do you think you're going to prevail when you come up against God? That's what this is. This is a, a battle against righteousness. And there was a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men. That's a lot of people. Slaughtered. Perished. Under the wrath and judgment of God. In rebellion. You know what this is? This was treason. That's what it is. Verse 8. For the battle was there scattered over the face of all the country. And the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. You say, what does that mean? What I can understand, instead of David's men having to take the sword and kill them all, the way I picture this from what I can gather by trying to study this, was as the battle began to go against them, and they begin to die. You know what they did? They begin to flee. They start fleeing to the woods. But in those woods, they were pits. They were all types of danger. And when they started rushing into the woods, it started just devouring them. You say, what does that represent? I pictured the woods representing false religion. When man sees that he's under the judgment and the wrath of God, he's going to run somewhere. He's going to flee somewhere. And where do they flee? They flee to the woods. It's kind of ironic that Adam and Eve, after they see them, they run to the woods too and cut off leaves and started making them fig leaves to cover up their sin. But in the very place they sought refuge was the very place that destroyed them. Then not that make some sense? To me it does. That's what I see here. It says, when a man takes up a false religion... It says the last state of that man is worse than the beginning. What will destroy more people in this world than anything else? I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's religion without Christ. And what it does? It will devour them. The woods destroyed more people than the sword did. You think about that word. It destroyed them. That's why to think that my children, they're the dearest thing to my heart next to my wife and the Lord Jesus Christ, to think that they were sitting in a, you know, in a church that lied on God and preached a false gospel and to know that it was actually destroying their soul. That's what it's doing the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. It just devoured them. Just just when I think about something devouring something, I think about it just swallowing swallowing them up. Just devoured them. And why were they devoured? How were they devoured? In rebellion. Whose hand do you see in this? God's hand's in this. God's hand's in this. You say, well, David just has a few men, that, that doesn't matter. Reminds me of a place I can't remember the scripture I had it wrote down where Absalom's getting I mean Jonathan's getting ready to go into battle one day and he said he said it doesn't matter to God whether he saves by many or few. God's the one in control. God will take care of them. All who rise up in rebellion against him, you know what he's going to do? He'll put them all down. He'll put them all down. Well, what about Absalom? Where's Absalom in all this? And Absalom met the servants of David. What do you think is running through his mind? You could picture that as Absalom meeting God's preachers. Ain't they his servants? His ministers? He meets God's David's servants. And Absalom rode upon a mule. Now I don't, I wish I could have found some help on this. Why he's riding a mule? Because he, why why is he not riding his chariot? Why is he not riding his stallion horse? David rode a mule. And when, when Solomon, I mean, when Absalom, member killed his brother, the rest of David's sons all rode on mules. And why he's riding a mule now, I just don't know. When you find out, you let me know. I know there's something here. But at this time, he's riding up on the mule. And the mule went under the thick boughs of a great oak, and his head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the And the earth and the mule that was under him went his way. I picture Absalom running for his life. This cocky, proud rebel. Now he's fleeing for his life. And while he I can see him through this thicket, I can see him and I can you know he's got that long hair that he's so proud of. He runs under this oak, and that mule don't stop. You know what it does? It jerks him off that mule, and he hangs there in midair. Nobody to help him, nobody to cut him loose. He's just hanging there. Arthur Pink said, The boughs lie of that big oak like the hands of a giant gripped him holding him fast either by his neck or by his hair he just grabbed him I know what it was it was the hand of God that's what it was God laid hold on him it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God our God apart from Christ is a consuming fire he grabbed hold of him. The mule that was under Absalom was glad to get rid of its burden, wasn't it? I don't have to deal with that anymore. Here is the rebel suspended between heaven and earth to show that he was not fit for either. A band of Absalom hung between the heaven and earth, and unworthy of either, as abandoned by both. Earth would not keep him, heaven would not take him. Hell, therefore, opens her mouth to receive him. Well, I can read from Pink and other men that I respect it said he could have hung there for hours. Imagine this, thinking about it. Thinking about your rebellion. Thinking, thinking about facing death. And you're hanging there helpless. And there's not one thing you or anybody else can do. And God hangs him there. If that's not sobering to you, there's something wrong. To think about leaving this world. Going out facing God without any hope. Just hang in there. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. As he hung there, an object of shame, filled with terror. Here he waited some time, awaiting with horror his doom that would come. Now he thinks about his crimes. And from what we read here in this text and anywhere else, we don't see any hint that he repented. That he repented. Man, what was I thinking rebelling against God? I was such a fool. No hint. No hint. God had no place in his thoughts. As he lived, so he dies. As a tree falls, so shall it lie. Absalom deserted by his fellows. They left him to his fate. And the worst thing, now you get a hold of this, he is abandoned. He's abandoned by God. Abandoned. by God. And able to free himself, he is compelled to wait the hours of his death. If it was his hair, I want you to see this. you think about this. His rebellion was the death of him. give you a few verses of Scripture. Proverbs fifteen five: A, a fool dis, despises his father's instruction. Whoso curses his father, his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscurity. The eye that mocketh at his father and despises to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pluck his eye out, and the young eagle shall eat his eye. Rebellion is a serious thing, isn't it? Let me read on. <clears throat> verse 9. I mean, I'm sorry, verse 10. And a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. And Joab said to the man that told him, and, Behold, thou sawest him, and why didst thou not smite him bare to the ground? And I would have given ten shackles of silver in a girdle. And the man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand shackles of silver in my hand, yet would I not put forth my hand against the king's son, I wouldn't do it for nothing. For in our hearing the king charged thee and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Beware that none touched the young man I'm not touching him. I'm not touching him. Otherwise I should have brought falsehood against mine own life. For there is no matter hid from the king. He knows everything. And thou thyself would have set thyself against me. Then said, Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three darts in his hand. And thrust them through the heart of Absalom. While he was yet alive. In the midst of the oak. And we're going to see. Joab's a ruthless man. He he has, no, he has no value for life at all. I can't explain all this. I, I don't understand all this. I'm just telling you the truth. But I know this. I know God's hands in all this. You imagine Absalom hanging there. And he sees Joab right up. Joab would cut a man's throat in the blink of an eye. And, not, he wasn't, and he wasn't bat an eye in doing it. In verse fifteen, and the ten men that bear Joab's army compassed about and smote Absalom and slew him. What a horrible horrible death. And this young man goes out and meets a holy God. Like I said, this is to me one of the saddest stories in all the scripture. And Joab blew the trumpet. Why did he blow the trumpet? He's dead. Absalom's dead. Like I said, who were they after? They're after him. And Joab blows the trumpet. And the people return from pursuing after Israel. For Joab held the people back. Back the people. And in verse 17, And they took Absalom and cast him into a great pit in the wood. Where he died is where they buried him. In just some pit. Just throw him in some hole. And they laid a great heap of stone upon him, and all Israel fled every one to his tent. Most said the reason they covered him with stones is they said that's what ought to happen to him. You know what it says under the law? If a rebellious son rebels against his father, You know what they were to do? The people in the city would come to your house. They would take your son, and they would take him outside the city. And they would stone him to death. He said, that's pretty severe. Rebellion is a serious thing. That's what God's saying. The law was unbending. The law was strict. Verse 18. Now, Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up for himself a pillar, which is in the king's dale, for he said, I have no son. Now, he had three sons, and most believe that they all died prematurely or something. They all died. And he had one daughter. Remember, her name was Tamar, who he probably named after his sister. But he has, what he's saying is, in his lifetime, he knew that he didn't have an heir. I mean, Sandy was talking about this yesterday. Why didn't he remarry? I don't know, but he didn't. So he dies without any heirs. He dies without any sons. So what did he do? He said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name. And it was called into this name, and to this day, Absalom's place. What is that saying? Absalom knew one day he's going to die. And he don't have any sons to carry on his name. So he's got to to do something so they will remember him. So he builds him a big monument. And they call it Absalom's Place. In essence, it'd be like a big man building him a big monastery. It'd be like a man basically, some believe this could be like a big... uh, pyramid. He's going to build this big place and this is where I'm going to be buried when I die. No, he's not. He's going to be buried in a pit out in the woods. What does man think? Oh, I want everybody to remember me because I'm so special. I'm going to be buried in the Kingsdale, in the Kings Valley. No, you're not. You're going to be buried in some pit. Do you know Saul did the same thing? It said in first Samuel chapter fifteen, I thought this was interesting. You remember when God told him to go down and kill all the Amalekites, and when he came back he brought the king and he got all kept all the good stuff, and he said, We're going to offer it to God. It says in first Samuel fifteen, verse twelve, and when Samuel rose up early to go meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold he has set him up a place. and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. That word place means a hand. That is, some say, a trophy or a monument of, of tribe. And basically, look what my hand has done. Oh, really? That's all men want to do, is build monuments To themselves. (laughs) Isn't it? They want to be remembered. Listen to this. I want you to get this. Proverbs 10 verse 7. The memory of the just. Is blessed. And the name of the wicked. Shall rot. As I thought about memorials here, here Absalom, he's gonna—he—he—in his whole lifetime, this is this is all I've got to do something, Dan, Danny, so everybody will remember me. You remember the woman who came in and poured the alabaster box of ointment on our Lord's head? Remember what he said? He said, "She hath wrought a good work on me." And why? Why do we even remember that? Verily I say unto you, wheresoever the gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall this also that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. Now, friend, that's a memorial. That is, the memory of the just is blessed. But the name of the wicked shall rot so many lessons in these verses may god apply them to our hearts amen